Previously on Wormwood, Jacob Kitter has broken free from his parents' home to help his best friend, the ghost of Rachel Nolan, find her place of pain. Meanwhile, Jimmy Details has continued his struggle to experience the supernatural, and Sheriff Tom Bradley has begun to investigate a real case, one he's beginning to suspect could be an act of murder, and Crow has witnessed the accidental killing of Brent Saunders by the surprisingly skilled fists of Hank Mason. Tragedy forced Dr. Xander Crow down the dark pathways of the occult, and he was transformed. Now, chasing the vision of a dead woman, Dr. Crow finds himself in the haunted town of Wormwood, where evil lurks in the shadows and stains the souls of its inhabitants. Welcome to Wormwood. Episode 23, Dead Beat Down, written by David Acampo, Rick Beta, and Jeremy Rogers. I didn't mean to kill Brent Saunders. Yes. Well, from the look of it, I'd wager that every time you swing that arm of yours, there's the risk of killing someone. If you saw what happened, Dr. Crow, then you have to believe me. I'm not a killer. Mm, but, Mr. Mason, you must certainly have killed. I won't argue that these things don't happen. Still, an explanation is in order. I was sleeping with Brent's wife. I was having an affair with Emily. Come on, what kind of detective would I be if I didn't know that? And here's a little tidbit for you. Everybody in town knows, too. What are you going to do? It depends, Mr. Mason. What are you going to tell me? Mr. Mason, I've stuck to the name for so long, I've almost convinced myself that I really am Hank Mason, innkeeper. (laughs) Who would have thought it? So what's your real name? Doesn't matter. On the contrary, it does, or I wouldn't have asked. Jesus, Doc. Unlikely. You don't care about Brent Saunders. You come into town hell-bent with your own agenda, not caring one bit about who you have to move through to get what you want. Nobody ever seems to understand the consequences of what I seek. This isn't about murder, but that you're running out of things to do here. It's about the why, Mr. Whatever your real name is. It's always about the why now I've been Hank Mason for 20 years. And before that? There was a low-rent boxer in Los Angeles who went by the name Johnny Valentine. Nigh is the time for a good pulp. Yeah, something like that. Continue. What sort of trouble did you get yourself into, Mr. Valentine? Throw a fixed fight? I used to hit this gym on the south side. A place called Jiminy's. Wasn't much more than a dive for dealers and pimps and gamblers in over their heads so deep that they might as well just gone to find their graves. It was a good place to get yourself shot or stabbed, or your Johnson riddled with sores. But it had a decent ring, and I could afford to use it. Maybe I was the only athlete there. Maybe that's why I stood out. Come on, now skip to the part where she walked in. She? The dame to whom you couldn't say no, even against your better judgment. Jiminy. I don't think he stretched above four feet, but the 
cloud of cigar smoke that shrouded him had a way of playing with the light, making him look bigger. He knew I was too old to still be a nobody in the ring, and he knew I didn't have anything else. He offered me a job. You see, his wife was uncommon for the neighborhood, young and deserving a better part of the city. And she was cheating on the old man. Ah, find the guy, rough him up. I assume that's where the job leads. Something like that. Only, the other man wasn't another man. You are an extraordinary storyteller. (laughs) Yeah. Well, as it turned out, his wife preferred men. I'm sensing a pattern with you. When, uh, When Gwendolyn was killed, they fingered me in the strangulation. Jiminy had me tailed from the start. It was never going to go another way. And that's why you left Los Angeles. It wasn't that simple. Jiminy had the idea to showcase after-hours fights in his gym. It was all a game. The fights would be rigged from the get-go, and if word hit the streets that enough money was changing hands, there was a good chance that the Marino family would take interest. That's when the real money would reveal itself. And you found yourself with no choice but to be the prize fighter. For a while. Soon Marino was placing his own boxers in the ring, and for a time... Rigged or not, we had some honest fights going on. At least, it had that shine from my perspective. But you know how greed works. Yes, I do, like a spreading disease. Jiminy was no match for the mob he was trying to scam. Little did he know that they were on to him before the bell rang out on the first fight. So there I was, trapped in the middle with a grudge and nothing to lose. I found my chance. I beat a 19-year-old Sicilian to death in the ring and I took Marino's money and ran. Jiminy was accountable and dead before I crossed out of the city, and I knew he would finger me before Marino's goons triggered his skull. You know what I can't believe? That your atrociously quaint B&B was bought with seedy criminal money. (laughs) Like I said, it was a long time ago. No, no, I have to say that I find it all the more charming now. So, there you go, Dr. Crow. You know a little about me. That I do, slugger. The thing is, what I really wanted to know is more about the house. I don't know what you're talking about, Doc. Really? Shall I just go tell the sheriff about the little mishap then? This is blackmail. Oh, come on! This should all be old hat for you. What do you want? I told you who I am. But not what it is that you're mixed up in. The house. The Edisons. The Edisons are dead. You won't get any answers from them. (laughs) If only you knew, they told me plenty. They, uh, mentioned me? No, not exactly. You just connected the dots. It's not what you think, Doc. Did you kill Emily? Because she didn't love you anymore? Christ, no! Good. I would have been disappointed if this had all been something so mundane. Did you know that Katrina poisoned Emily? What? No, no, you you can't be serious. That was her husband's reaction. My God. Why on earth would she do that? What exactly were you and Emily doing? I didn't want Emily to do it, you know. To, To go through with it. The ritual? She was determined. And he had told us what would happen if she didn't. The money man. See, he's... He's just the... I don't know what. The... The scout, I guess. And then we began to 
see him. We knew he was real. Who told you this? Up there. On the hill. Phineas Tibbert. The old man. He helped me get set up here in town. In return, I helped him a little, here and there. And when I had earned his trust, he invited me into the house. And I met Emily. And then the old man says kill and you hop to it? It's not like that at all. Why did Emily have to die? Come on! Oh, Christ, Doc. I don't know anymore. It was supposed to end. But it's all just screwed up. Everybody's dying. Now... Now this. Mason! Find you! It's the money man! It's got me! Run! Run! Get it! We have to fight it! Leave that to me! Go! I'll take care of this! Get the hell out of here! You know where to go! Listen, you won't believe what I've uncovered. Let's just put our little spat behind us and move on to the glorious reward. Sparrow, pick up! As you know, I'm a bit of a fan of the old glove game. That's boxing for those playing along at home. And ever since, I saw Innkeeper Mason throw a rather wicked one-two at Brent Saunders and Emily's funeral. I knew there was something familiar about those moves. Right on his feet, but with a vicious left cross, and wait until I tell you just how vicious it can be. Anyway, come on, I finally put it all together under one name, Johnny Valentine. Not that you care one whit for violent ballet of the pugilistic arts, but you've got to hear where Mr. Valentine's sordid tale has led me. <laughs> oh, this is a good sparrow. Sparrow! Give the rambling message, it does appear that my brakes are not working. I should probably put down the phone and concentrate on my survival. Ah, foul play or shoddy maintenance, I'm uncertain at this time, but when you do receive this message, I'd greatly appreciate it if you could call me back so I could finish my story. Ah! 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 Oh my, well... At least it's one of those electric numbers, so there's nothing to... Testing? Testing? Hello, are you working? Ah, darn it! I spilled my coffee! Oh, that's hot! Oh, shoot! This is Wayne Drexel's Justice Journal, from the secret files of Wayne Eldon Drexel. Irene, if 
if you should ever find this, this means I've passed on. I want you to keep this audio journal as a record of what really happened. Mom, if you're listening to this... This is private, gosh darn it! I told you not to snoop around my stuff anymore! Stop this tape right now and give it to Irene Green! Now, let's see. It's 6 p.m. in the evening, and all the citizens are home having their dinner with their families. My shift is over, but that's exactly when I'm needed the most. This is my secret patrol. I can't drive around in my cruiser. Tom doesn't understand this, and I can't tell him. Tom is a good man, but he really just takes his duties as a job, and sometimes I think it's not even a job he really wants. But what he doesn't understand is what I've learned from my extensive collection of Batman comic books. Crime isn't a 9-to-5 job. And sometimes, justice can only prevail in anonymity. Something is wrong in Wormwood, and I've taken to a secret patrol to uncover the dark secrets in the heart of the town. Tom can never know, Irene. I'm not in my cruiser. I've left my badge at home. I carry with me only my nunchucks, throwing stars, and my quarterstaff. Oh, darn it! Okay, well, my nunchucks and my throwing stars. I I guess my mom uses my staff to keep the window propped open again. Man, I hate it when she takes the stuff from my arsenal. Okay, so anyway, I've been driving around in Wormwood for two hours now, slowly expanding my perimeter. So far, all is calm and peaceful. But beneath the placid surface lies a roiling darkness. At first... I thought it was a ring of French cat burglars, but that just didn't make a lot of sense. I'm glad I didn't tell Tom about that, but I've been observing, and I think I've stumbled across an even darker secret. Government testing. I have a hunch that somewhere in Wormwood lies a secret biological weapons testing facility. I believe something has escaped from this facility, but I don't know what. Perhaps some sort of airborne virus or genetically altered creature of some kind. What the heck, fire? Justice Turner, I, Wayne Drexel, have just witnessed the first ripple in the placid exterior. It appears that Jacob Kidder has just run past me into the woods. But I'm pretty sure that he was grounded. This could be the break I was looking for. I'm going in. I mean out. I'm going out. After. I'm going after Jacob. Push it, Drexel. Push your body to the limits of human potential. Ow! Oh! Darn it! Oh. Ow! Ooh! Ah! Oh! Ah! 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 I think I broke my pinky toe. Oh, that hurt. Oh, my pinky toe. Oh! Jacob. Jacob? Jacob Kidder? Is that you out there? Come out, son. Come on out, son. This is Wayne Drexel. I was right. I was right. And I knew it. It was like some genetically bred human wolfhound beast. 
Who's here to stop it? Who here even knows to expose the secret? I don't see anybody here but me. Darn it, that really hurts! Wayne Drexel's Justice Journal. I'm back at the station, but I'm very close to exposing the truth about Wormwood. I am forced to write this entry by hand because I sat on my tape recorder when the genetic genetically enhanced government dog soldier ambushed me a few hours ago. But now I have seen the proof I need. Jeez, Wayne, you look something awful. What are you doing back here? I sent you home a couple of hours ago. Couldn't sleep. Again, huh? Well, I, I don't suppose you... Uh... Uh, there's a pot percolating right now. The China mine isn't too bad, as coffee goes. I swear, Wayne, you and your coffee. You know, if you just relax and get a decent night's sleep, it would do you a world of good. What did you do... Did you and Irene have a Scrabble tournament again? Yeah, yes, sir. Got a triple-letter score for my last word for 32 points. Yeah, that always makes you hyperactive. What was the word... The word was justice. Huh. Nice. Anyway. Say, Sheriff? Yeah? Have you ever seen any official government types around Wormwood? Well, not sure what you mean, Wayne. Like, feds? Maybe. Well, not that I can recall. Why do you ask? Nothing. It's nothing. Just wondered. How about people in white lab coats. Wayne, I need to go and make a phone call. Uh, Not the best time for a social call, but this ain't exactly social, if you know what I mean. Sure thing, Sheriff. But if you remember anything, let me know. You got it, Wayne. I'm glad you're here anyway. Looks like we're in for another stormy night. I got a feeling it's gonna be a bad one. Now, where in the heck did I leave that business card, Mr. Bressier. Ah! God, it's an ugly business card, if you ask me. What is that, a dragon with a lion's head? Or is it a, a lion with eagle's wings? No, no, you have to turn them once, or they won't cook through to the center. Hello? This is Bressier Antiques. We operate by appointment only. Do you have an appointment? Uh, no. Then goodbye. Uh, the name's Bradley. Sheriff Tom Bradley, out of Wormwood County. Sir, I am a legitimate businessman with whom you, as an undoubtedly underpaid civil servant, cannot afford to have an appointment. Perhaps you could look up a nearby Pier 1 in the Yellow Pages. I'm calling about an associate of yours, a Mr. Julian Callender. 
I don't have any associates. You don't know a Julian calendar? I don't believe so. Well, he sure seems to know you, seeing as he has your business card and all. Ah, yes, yes. Oh, that Mr. Calendar. He's a contractor I've dealt with on occasion. Nice fellow, as I recall. Has he had some kind of trouble with the law? He appears to have gone missing. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that, Sheriff. I'm sorry, was it Brady? Bradley. You should know, Sheriff, that the antiques market is a savage game. Uh Uh-huh. So is Mr. Callender on contract with you now? Mr. Callender is most assuredly not in my employ. I haven't heard from him. Would you have any idea for what reason he would have been coming to my town? Well, I wouldn't know anything about that. Now would I? I'm sorry, Sheriff, but I really must run. My twin nieces are in town, and we've just heated up some hot pockets. They do so love the ham and cheddar flavor, even if the molten cheese does occasionally burn the tongue. Uh, okay. Well, if you've got any information... Yes, yes. I don't know anything about Mr. Callender's activities in Wormwood Sheriff. But I can assure you, if Julian turns up, I'll have him phone you straight away. Yeah, oh, okay, that would be great. Children, listen to me. You must let them sit for one minute before you dine. Look at the package. It warns of... Oh, well, all things considered, that was one of the more normal conversations I've had lately. So begins the existential crisis of Jimmy Details. It's so not cool. <sighs> JD. Hey, Doc Crow, what happened to your head? It's a pretty big gash. Yes, well, I got into a fight with my perky blue hybrid. You mean, you mean your car? A flaming chunk of it, yes. Huh. Well, that's weird. Jimmy, what on earth are you doing in the cemetery? It's dark, and won't your mother be worried that you're not back at home playing with your toys? Um, I rent the garage. I see. And whose plot is this that we're serenading with an acoustic ditty? Hmm? I see James Details died in 1988. My dad. Ah, I'm sorry, Jimmy. What the hell, right? I mean, everyone says he's a real douche anyway. Most fathers are. Yeah, I don't know. Probably. He left for Hollywood when I was young, and he never came back. Not until the police down there found his body in an alley. All he had in his pocket was a photo of me from the day we went fishing out on Griffin Lake. He left shortly after that day, and and I was young, so that's about it for me and him. I see. Shed no tears, dude. Daddy didn't love me. So it goes. Feel for the fire. This is illuminating, truly. But, Jimmy, don't let that photograph found in his pocket haunt you. Uh, It's not like that. I think it is, Jimmy. That photograph of you kept with him all these years, it was in all likelihood stemmed from guilt. Not fatherly love. It's just that he was chasing his muse, you know? I can't fault him for that, as I've got a pretty stellar muse of my own. Do you now? You've got to be careful. Sometimes that muse is a trickster. Cool. 
Listen, Jimmy, parents are damaging creatures more than any demon could ever aspire to be. But if I could just get you to hold that thought for a moment, I have a very pressing favor to ask you. So a man with a guitar slung over his shoulder heads out of town finds himself playing the boardwalk for beer and meals. And that's all life had to be. I guess I can relate to that. Although I myself prefer a little more fire and brimstone. Of course you do. Now, Jimmy, you'll have to excuse my change of topic, but I need to trouble you. I tried to hang myself, Dr. Crow. Oh, Jimmy. Don't prove to me that you really are an idiot. It's not what you think. If you're still trying to self-inflict some sort of trauma in an attempt to... Everyone thinks Rachel Nolan's ghost is walking around town. Is that... Do you, do you think that's true, Dr. Crow? It's hard to say, but the point is that you can't flirt with death to try to find out. I, I, I just want to see a ghost. Just one ghost, Dr. Crow. Just one. Your father. I, I want answers. I, I grew up without knowing anything about him. What my mom tells me doesn't count, because I know that nobody is that bad all around. I just want my own impression. Is that, is that wrong? No, Jimmy, it's not wrong. But it's not worth dying for, either. <sighs> Yeah, I know. Good. So, now that I've talked you down from the edge of the headstone, I need you to give me a ride. Dr. Crow, you're like the closest thing I've ever had. Did Jimmy? No, 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 no. I need merely a ride to Phineas Tibbet's house. That's all. Do you know how to get there? The old house up on the hill? Sure. We have to ride Brunhilde. Whatever it takes. Thank you, Jimmy. Say, Dr. Crow, I-, I need you to fling my guitar over your shoulder. I'd put it on mine, but you need to be able to hang on to me, which is totally cool. Dudes can do that, too. No helmets? Not even one for me. Don't worry. This bitch tops by the 45 miles per hour. But should it start to rain again, I need to warn you that she hydroplanes like a mother. Talented cast of season one regular and supporting roles. Arthur Russell as Dr. Xander Crow, Sonia Parozzi as Rachel Nolan and Sparrow, Scott Olenek as Jacob Kidder, Gorley Nickars as Emily Saunders, Deidre Frost, and Margaret Roosevelt, Joe J. Thomas as Hank Mason, Phineas Dibbert, Bob Gildenstern, Mr. Bressier, and your announcer, Rob Grindlinger as Sheriff Tom Bradley, Steve Haskell, Cedric Bloomington, and Julian Callender, Peter Dirksen, as Jimmy Details, Jonesy, and Harlan Panic, Zachary Fawkes, as Charles Edison, Brent Saunders, and Reginald Bloomington, Cheyenne Besides, as Katrina Edison, Lamora Haskell, Emily Bloomington, and Sister George, Anna Maganini, as Lynette Bradley and Peggy Nolan, Andrew Ramirez, as Dexter Nolan and young Cedric Bloomington, 
Dave Johnston as Deputy Wayne Drexel and Jonathan Kidder, and Chris Blaylock as Dr. Pete Menno. Additional voices provided by the talented cast. Staff writers, Jeremiah Allen, Rob Alsbaugh, Tiffany K. Whitney, and Rick Beta. Executive producers, David Acampo and Jeremy Rogers. Original music compositions by Todd Hodges. Sound effects engineered by Chris Sahakian. Copyright 2007, Habit Forming Films, LLC. Wormwood is a serialized podcast and cannot be distributed in part or whole outside of the podcast format without written consent from the creators. For more information on the cast and writers and individual episode credits, visit www.wormwoodshow.com. Thank you for listening and welcome to town.